This is episode number 126, How to Design Your Personalized Race Nutrition Plan with Goo Energy Lab's Roxanne Vogel. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories every day. We know from doing research on absorption and digestion that gels can hit your bloodstream as quickly as 10 to 15 minutes. Solid food has to be, one, chewed and then broken down by chemicals in the stomach and hit the small intestine where it's absorbed and then goes into the bloodstream. So it does take a bit longer. How long? It just depends on what you're eating. If it's got protein, if it's got fat, if it's got fiber, all of those things are going to slow down the digestion and absorption. And today's topic is something that I get asked all the time. How do I design a race nutrition plan? And what is it that I do that helps me in all of my 100 mile long races and in my stage races? And while my advice has been really helpful to many people, and I've just given them my prescription for what works for me, what works for you might be different. So I talked to Goo Energy Labs, who's also one of my sponsors, and I got the nutrition and performance research manager, Roxanne Vogel on the show to help give you guys some guidelines on how to create your own race nutrition plan that works for you. And this applies to pretty much any endurance sport. Roxanne is also pretty badass in her own right. She just got back from summiting Mount Everest. Yeah, you heard right. She summited Mount Everest. One thing to note as well in the show notes, there is a link called Ask the Guru. And if you have any questions after listening to this episode that you want to ask Roxanne, you can email her directly and get your personal questions answered. If you're enjoying the show and want to support my work, please submit a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the growth and it helps the searchability of the show. So it only takes a couple seconds. Go onto the podcast app, scroll down to the bottom, go to ratings and reviews and leave us a little message. We read every single one of them and it gets us stoked to keep creating more episodes. And if you want to go a step further, I have a Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Sonia Looney show, where you can kick a few bucks to the show per month to help us produce and keep the quality high and help us grow the show. And I've had people ask me if they could just leave a one-time donation. And if you would like to do that, please feel free to email me at Sonia at SoniaLooney.com. And I can give you a link to do that. So thanks so much to everyone who's supporting my work. And also, if you're interested in taking your nutrition to another step further, you can get my Plant Power Tribe e-cookbook, and that is on moxieandgrit.com. And this cookbook has 25 recipes. All of them are well-balanced, easy to make, delicious recipes for athletes. And you don't even have to be a plant-based person. If you just want to add in more plant-based meals into your life, this would be a really good option for you. So you can get that at moxieandgrit.com and look for the Plant Power Tribe cookbook. And you're also welcome to join our Plant Power Tribe Facebook group. We've even talked about things like sports nutrition and it's for free. So just go to Facebook and look up Plant Power Tribe Facebook group with Sonia Looney and we have over 1600 members. Okay, back to this episode. There's a lot you're gonna learn and take away from this. You're gonna learn the keys to structuring your race nutrition plan, how many calories to start with per hour, how long it takes to digest certain types of food, how to come back around when you've made a nutrition mistake, 
twos versus gels and how quickly those are digested, hydration strategies, caffeine, what to eat on race morning and before the race, if you need to carb load, how to eat for recovery, what to eat on a recovery day, how to eat for weight loss, and so much more. There's a lot. This is action-packed. This is full of stuff you can start applying today and have better performances in your training and racing. So here is Roxanne Vogel. Welcome to the show, Roxanne. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you. And welcome back from Everest. That's so cool. <laughs> Thanks. It was uh, it was quite an experience, to say the least. Yeah, man. I think we could even record an entire podcast about how you plan for Everest and even just the food part of how you plan for Everest. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we did all these custom products in the goo lab for that particular trip. So it was really awesome to have my own bars, my own gels, just like Everest specific Roctane drink mix. It was uh, pretty amazing. So before getting into how people can create their own race nutrition strategy and just overall nutrition strategy, I'd love to talk about the goo lab because a lot of times people see like, oh, the delicious flavored gels and all the fun things that goo does in terms of activations at events, but they don't realize that the lab in Berkeley is actually a really unique and cool place. Yeah, totally. So I actually work in the research and development department. And so I, along with the product developers, help create new formulas and new products. And we, you know, have this lab in the back where we are literally tinkering away all day with flavors and different form factors. So things that haven't even come out yet, but yeah, we've got some amazing scientists on staff. And so we can pretty much make anything we want. And then our production facility for the gels is attached to our building at our HQ. So I like to refer to it as Willy Wonka's chocolate factory back there. <laughs> we make all of the gels in house. It's pretty amazing. Just hundreds of thousands of gels per day. So we can make a formula and then run it right in the back of the office. And it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think most people don't realize that the gels are actually made in-house, and I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and yeah, the fact that we're family-owned and operated for over 25 years, and we're just this local Berkeley company, it's it's pretty cool that we still keep our production on site. So, you know, we're really nimble as far as being able to innovate products and then go to production with them. It's really cool. Yeah, and another thing that I really love about Goo is reducing waste, and most people don't realize that you can send your gel pack. You guys are still doing that program where you can mail your gel packets back, right? Yeah, the TerraCycle program. So any gel packets, street waffle packets, like any of our sports nutrition packaging, you can get an envelope with a free, you know, mailing label and send it to this company, TerraCycle, who will upcycle it into new products. So, you know, little bicycle bags or chairs or all sorts of things. It's really cool. Awesome. So yeah, for those of you listening, if you want to reduce your waste, it doesn't cost you anything. You just have to mail it back. Do you take other products too, or is it just goo? We do take other sports nutrition products and you just have to look at the label and a lot of them will have a little logo that's for TerraCycle and it kind of looks like an infinity symbol. It's like green with little arrows on the end, but you'll know that it's TerraCyclable. So yeah. Cool. So your background is in nutrition, sports nutrition, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I have my master's in exercise and sports nutrition. Cool. And where did you get that from? I went to Texas Women's University, so in Denton, Texas, and I was hired from there, essentially, and came here to Berkeley, and I've been here for the last two and a half years working. First, I was the sports nutritionist on staff, so working with all of our sponsored athletes, and now my role is 
nutrition and performance research manager. So I oversee the research that we do in the lab. So not just with innovating new products, but also with, we have physiology testing services so we can actually test athletes, look at their metabolism, look at what kind of calories they burn, how many calories they burn, and really dial in nutrition specific for them. And so, you know, that's one of the areas that we're looking to expand in the future potentially is the capabilities with our performance lab. Dang, it sounds like I need to come visit. (laughs) Yeah, totally. We'd love to have you. So I wanted to make this podcast about how to create your own race nutrition plan because everybody is different. And even within the same discipline or even like disciplines of cycling, it can be different intensity level, temperature, like there's lots of variables involved. And then also people's ability to digest certain things. So kind of just to give everybody a little background on what I've been recommending, because this is, I just say this is what works for me and it doesn't work for everybody is up to hundred miles, like up to around eight hours, I can do almost solely gel. So I put four or five gels in the goo gel flasks. I add water, I shake it up and I have a bunch of those ready. And then I alternate between a bottle of water and then a bottle of diluted. So one scoop of Roctane. And that has been my plan. That's what I've been doing for many years. And it's been successful for me without having any type of gut issues. Um, My husband does the same thing. But some people say to me, well, I can't actually eat that many gels. And what am I supposed to do for my nutrition program? Or how do I do nutrition if it's a cross country race versus like a hundred mile race? So I'd love to kind of, from a bird's eye view, talk about race nutrition plan and what things people should look for in order to create one for themselves and then kind of get into more of the details. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you hit it right on the head. Everybody's going to be different and, you know, what works for you may not work for somebody else. Certainly what you're able to do is pretty impressive. A lot of people can't tolerate that many gels per hour, but, uh, kudos to you. That's, that's amazing. And the great thing about gels is that they're formulated to be really easy to digest. So, you know, if you are able to tolerate gels, it's a great way to go. Same with the Roctane drink mix, you know, all the calories you need, all of the electrolytes you need and amino acids to protect your muscles in one, you know, formula. So really nice if you can tolerate that. But a lot of people at some point in a race want to do either some whole foods or, you know, mix it up a little bit as far as texture and form factor. So you have to kind of be considerate of that as well. But, you know, when I'm looking at how to start planning for an athlete's race day nutrition plan. First things I want to know always are, you know, how long is it going to take you to finish? How long do you think it'll take at least? And what's the course terrain look like? What's the course profile if you have that information? And then also what is your carrying capacity? Like how are you going to be able to carry your fluids? Are you going to be able to refill? Where are the aid stations? If there are aid stations and, you know, are you going to be wearing a pack? Are you carrying bottles? Are you having pockets so you can put things and, you know, if you are going to be carrying things, are they going to be conveniently located so you don't have to like stop and take off something? Or if it's technical terrain, are you going to be able to use your hands? Cause that might impair your ability to eat, which is something, you know, for instance, from my just recent experience on Everest, I had the best nutrition plan and all of these custom products. One thing I didn't think about was I was wearing an oxygen mask, which I've never done before. And so that actually made it really difficult to eat or drink anything. And so I just didn't, you know, and these things happen in, in races all the time. It's like people 
don't think about what the conditions are going to be or they don't realize what they're going to be. And then they end up not eating or drinking. And that's where you run into trouble, right? So not enough energy, not enough fluids, you get dehydrated, you might hit the wall or bonk or, you know, just run out of steam. But going back to how do we start planning? First and foremost is time. You want to really plan for the number of hours you're going to be out there. And a good kind of safe area to start would be to aim for around 150, maybe up to 300 calories an hour for most people. You obviously can tolerate a lot of calories and people can do that if they are used to eating that many calories and train that way. But if they're not sure where to start, I'd say 150 to 300 calories per hour is a good place to start. And for reference, one gel, for instance, is 100 calories. And one serving of Roctane drink mix, like a full serving, is 250. So, you know, even if you just did a serving of Roctane drink mix per hour and that was all you did, you'd be pretty much covered because it would get your fluids, it would get all of your electrolytes, it would get all of your calories, and you would be pretty much set up for success. And some people do that. We've seen athletes run 100-mile races solely on Roctane drink mix alone, which is pretty impressive. And then so the next thing after time, if you're considering how many calories, you know, multiply that by how many hours you'll be out there, how many hours you think you'll be out there, looking at the course profile so you can be a little bit more strategic with when you want to take, say, a gel versus maybe you want to eat a waffle somewhere where you can slow down a little bit and digest a little easier. I like to tell athletes, you know, take a gel when you know you're going to have like a hard climb coming up, but before you get to the climb, right? Like you don't want to try and eat your product whenever you're pushing as hard as you possibly can. One, because you're probably really focused and, you know, all hands on deck, but two, because you're less able to digest the more intensely you're working. So the best time to kind of get your nutrition and calories in is when your body is able to actually absorb them. So strategic, looking at easier to digest calories before harder sections. So if you can see the profile, look at where hill climbs are, look at the finish, maybe have special caffeinated gel or something like that picked out for that final push, that final kick. And then, you know, the other thing you want to consider too is if it's a really long race or you'll be out there for a super long time, like how can you minimize the amount of weight you're carrying and utilize if there are aid stations, utilize aid stations to help kind of refill and get more calories along the way. So, you know, if you know there are three aid stations, maybe plan out ahead of time what you're going to need to do. So am I going to refill my bottles at this aid station? What is going in them? Do I need to carry it or will it be there? Can I get some solid food? Some people, you know, get tired of doing sports nutrition products and that's fair. So look at, you know, do I want something salty? Do I want some fruit? Whatever it is. But yeah, so that would be kind of the starting point for a race day nutrition plan, in my opinion. And you mentioned saving something like a gel for a climb because it digests really quickly. But like, how long does it take to digest a waffle or say someone eats chips or a part of a peanut butter sandwich at an aid station? That's a great question. So we know from doing research on absorption and digestion that gels can hit your bloodstream as quickly as 10 to 15 minutes. Solid food has to be one chewed and then it has to be broken down by chemicals in the stomach and, you know, hit the small intestine where it's absorbed and then goes into the bloodstream. So it does take a bit longer. How long? It just depends on what you're eating. So if it's got protein, if it's got fat, if it's got fiber, all of those things are going to slow down the digestion and absorption. So it could take 30 minutes. It could take 
more than that. It just depends, you know, what's in it, how much, and what else you've got going on in your stomach. Also, if you're dehydrated or if it's really hot, it can slow down digestion anyway. So, you know, those things also come into play. And you said that a good place to start in terms of caloric intake per hour is around 150 to 300 calories per hour. So how does somebody learn more precisely what they need? Because the reason I've been able to determine what I need is actually from riding the trainer, because when you're in your garage riding the trainer, there's not a lot of distractions and you can really feel when your body is shutting down. And I've been able to really identify exactly what I need at a certain intensity because of how it feels and how much better I feel after I take a gel. So how can someone figure out what they need? Yeah, that's a really fantastic explanation of it right there. Yeah. So if you have a place where you can do kind of a controlled guinea pig experiment on yourself, that would be the best way to do it. So whether you're a runner and you're like at a gym on a treadmill and you can do something like that, or if you have access to a trainer, like you just said, that is a fantastic way to figure out what you need at various points. And so you know, sometimes you may do a fasted ride or run and see how you feel. So like an hour and then do that same ride again and maybe take a gel before and then do that same ride again and take a gel during or something like that and just try and figure out what makes your body respond the best. And then you can go from there and kind of extrapolate for longer durations and, you know, also experiment with how much you're drinking too, because that's important. And a lot of people, forget about drinking. It's kind of like the backseat driver. But I would say staying hydrated is even more important than making sure you're staying on top of your nutrition. Just overall, from a health standpoint, I'd say first and foremost, make sure you're staying adequately hydrated with electrolytes as well. So, you know, how much are you drinking during an hour? And even if you're doing something like weighing yourself before and after and seeing how much weight you lose in order to kind of calculate how much water you need, that's a really kind of simple, easy way to figure out what you need to be drinking. So for every pound of weight you lose before and after an hour worth of working out, you would need to be drinking at least 16 ounces of fluid to replace that. Okay. And in terms of like, say someone has a race coming up and they have done some experimentation, but then say on the race day, they start eating the things that they had planned to eat, but then it starts going wrong. So a big mistake I see people doing is they don't drink enough water whenever they're taking gel, particularly when it's hot out and then they get dehydrated and then they just can't process the food in their gut. Like when things are going wrong, how can people pull themselves out of that and maybe come back around? Yeah, that is such a good point. And that is probably the number one thing I see when people say, oh, I can't tolerate gels. They're just like a gut bomb for me. I'm like, well, yeah, but are you drinking it with water? Are you taking them with water? Because that is how they're meant to be taken. So you're supposed to be drinking about six ounces or a few gulps of water with each gel. So certainly it's easy to kind of get off track or get behind with your nutrition. And then how do you fix that? I would say the most important thing, again, is always making sure that you're getting adequate fluids because a lot of times dehydration can really wreak havoc on your gut. The other thing, if you're having some nausea, having some, you know, indigestion type issues along with that, you could have something on hand like some ginger chews or some hard candies because that way you're at least getting a little bit of sugar. It's not going to overload your system. And a lot of times it just takes a little bit of sugar to make you feel better. And then ginger is just soothing for the digestive tract. So I always you know, tell people to have some ginger candies or ginger chews just in case things go south. But yeah, making sure you're drinking 
and then just getting a little bit of sugar in your system and it can start to kind of correct itself. Okay. I think that's great advice. And what about gels versus chews? Because I forgot to go and look at the details, but do they contain different amounts of like fructose or, sorry, I can't speak intelligently because I, I, I didn't look at it, but the difference between the two and when you should use one versus the other? Yeah. So it is a little bit different, the composition. So our gels are specifically formulated with a ratio of glucose to fructose. And, um, you know, our glucose is in the form of maltodextrin, which is just basically glucose units linked together, kind of like cars on a train. But we formulate it very specifically with this ratio because that has been found to be the most effective way to get the most amount of carbohydrates into your system without GI distress. Our chews are necessarily formulated a little bit differently because they are a different texture. They have to have, you know, a certain amount of sugar. So it is a little bit different, but it's just going to be a little bit slower digestion than our gels. And then you have to also take into account the fact that you need to chew it and things like that. So that'll kind of alter the way that you experience the product. But, you know, it is still roughly the same size. Like we consider them interchangeable. So one serving of chews is 80 calories versus a gel is 100 calories and roughly the same amount of carbohydrates. So like about 20 grams. So if you're kind of using them interchangeably, it's fine. It's just make sure that you're in a spot where you're able to like slow down and chew and not choke on the chews versus a gel and which goes down a little bit quicker. It's a little bit easier. You don't have to chew it and it'll probably hit your bloodstream just a tad faster. And people who say they have issues with gels, like with their stomach, are the chews easier on your stomach? I don't know if I'd say they're any easier, but because they do absorb a little bit more slowly, it might be easier for somebody to digest because it takes a little bit longer to process. It's hard to say, or it could just be a texture thing too. A lot of people just can't get past the texture of a gel and that's fair. And that's why we make other form factors. You know, that's why we do waffles and chews and drink mixes. And are the waffles formulated similarly to the chews? Because you mentioned that they do take longer to digest. Right. So the waffles are going to be a little different even, and I would say slower digesting because they do have a little bit of fat in them. So even slower than the chews. So, you know, on the like the spectrum of fast to slow, I would say drink mix and gels would be the fastest and then chews would be next. And then waffles would probably be the slowest. So I'd say use those at a, at a moderate intensity, right? Don't use those when you're pushing all out. And in terms of roctane and a hydration strategy, I know that it definitely depends on the temperature outside, but in terms of coming up with a a general hydration strategy, how much water should someone plan to drink versus drink mix? Can they do an entire race without drinking water and only drinking drink mix? Like what advice do you give to people for that? Yeah. And that's a great kind of segue into, you know, you got to figure out what works for you. But if you wanted to do an entire race, I've seen people do up to 19 hours on just Roctane drink mix. You know, granted, they might have had some water through going through an aid station or something, but it is possible to just do drink mix. But this was in a condition. It's actually the same race that's coming up this weekend. Western States 100 is a ultra trail race. And so, you know, very hot conditions and, you know, dry, dusty technical trail. But we had somebody win that race and 19 hours for females. And she just did Roctane drink mix the whole time. But, you know, that doesn't work for everybody. So I would say a good place to start as far as rule of thumb hydration would be try to get at least a half liter 
or 16 ounces every hour. Body can definitely absorb that much. You're probably not going to overload yourself. And then up to maybe a liter. Some people need to drink more than that. You know, some people sweat a lot and so they're losing a ton of fluids. So you might need to drink more than a liter per hour, but it's just hard to get that much fluids in and carry that much fluids depending on what you're racing or what you're doing. Another thing to consider is obviously environmental conditions. So the hotter it is, the more humid it is, the more you're going to sweat. So the more water you need to replace. So, you know, if you know it's going to be a really hot race, also consider maybe adding electrolytes or taking electrolyte capsules in addition to just straight water if you're not doing a drink mix. A lot of times the drink mixes will have already electrolytes added to them. So, yeah, I would say a good place to start, half liter to a liter per hour. If it's going to be hot, humid, or you're going to be sweating a lot more than usual, I would consider adding some sort of electrolyte to the mix. How much electrolyte, again, is very individual. People have different sweat rates and sweat composition. So some people might be a super salty sweater and you know need more electrolyte replacement than somebody who isn't. But if you're looking for a number, I would say minimum 300 milligrams of sodium per hour up to you know maybe 800 for most average people. So again, that can vary. And it's one of those things where you got to kind of see what feels best by testing it out. Yeah. And I think that's a really great point. My husband is a cramper, like he cramps almost every race. And some people seem to be crampers and some people tend to not cramp as much. And for him, he had tried like every electrolyte, you know, electrolyte blends. And I had actually emailed Brian, the CEO of Goo, Brian Vaughn, and asked him, you know, hey, the, my husband's having these issues. Like, what do you recommend? And he recommended magnesium. And so Matt started taking magnesium and also loading the week before the race using magnesium. And that's really helped him with mitigate cramping. And I know that Goo just came out with the, your own magnesium supplement as well. Yeah, that's right. A lot of times your nervous system is largely regulated by magnesium. So those signals that are going to your muscles and that can initiate muscle contractions you know, they're going to respond to magnesium supplementation in a lot of times. And so that's why we did create the Magnesium Plus product. It does have other great things in it. It has vitamin D, vitamin K, and zinc, all of which are important for athletes who are training and racing pretty hard. So a great product just overall for micronutrients for athletes. But yeah, some people mistakenly think, oh, I just need more salt or I just need more potassium and that's going to help my cramps. And you know, a lot of times it's not an electrolyte imbalance. It's not a hydration thing. Uh, it can even just be something as simple as your body's not used to pushing that hard for that long. And a lot of times cramps are a sign of just being overworked, the muscle. So, yeah. Okay. And then we talked about caffeine briefly. And you mentioned like taking a caffeine at the end of the race, caffeine gel. But like how can people strategically use caffeine in the race? If you tolerate caffeine well, and you probably already know if you're somebody who tolerates caffeine well because you can drink caffeine and not get jittery, you know, not have kind of a hard time falling asleep late at night, that sort of thing, versus somebody who doesn't really tolerate caffeine very well and they just, you know, get all jittery and just don't handle it well. But so if you do tolerate it well, I would say a good strategy is to get a decent boost before your race. So maybe. 45 minutes to an hour before you could do 100 to 200 up to 300 even milligrams. And that's like a couple of cups of coffee, right? That's not a huge amount. It's probably what most people normally do on their every day. 
And then after that, it's like you want to just have enough and strategically spread it out far enough. So maybe every couple hours, few hours, so that you kind of like trickle feed the system. So our gels, again, are created with this in mind. We do a low dose of caffeine anywhere from 20 milligrams up to 40 milligrams is currently what we have available. Although teaser alert, we are doing a high caffeine gel coming out in the near future. And it's amazing. I'm a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's my favorite product now, so it'll be out soon. But yeah, just enough to kind of keep the focus going, the attention and, you know, make the effort seem a little bit easier. So I would say every two to three hours, you could do a caffeinated gel. And then for your final push or, you know, whatever you need to get across the finish line, maybe 15, 20 minutes before that final kick, then I would take the last hit of caffeine, whatever that may be. So for instance, our like our jet blackberry flavor has 40 milligrams. It's one of our higher caffeine gels, something like that right before the finish. And how should people sort of differentiate between the regular gels and the Roctane gels? Because I know the Roctane products have more electrolytes and more amino acids in them, but there's a limited number of flavors for the Roctane. So like, can they mix them all up in a race? And and if so, what percentage is a good percentage to do of Roctane versus the regular? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. The Roctane is basically a souped up version of our original energy gel. So it has more electrolytes, more amino acids, and it also has things like beta alanine and taurine, which are known to improve performance, help you deal with acidity load and, you know, muscle contractility, things like that. So it's basically like the Cadillac version of our, of our gel line. So for me personally, I try to take as much percentage wise Roctane as I can during a race. If it's important, I'm going to do Roctane all day. And that might not be what everyone wants to do, but it's definitely not going to hurt if that is your sole kind of nutrition plan for the race is to do Roctane gels, Roctane drink mix, the whole thing. You know, they are going to be a little bit different in price point, but if you are okay with that, then I would say there's no problem with just going all Roctane for training and every day kind of, you know, not like an A race, then yeah, just our normal gels is fine. You don't necessarily need all the performance you know, extras like the taurine and beta alanine, but they're certainly not going to hurt you. Okay. So we've talked about generally what you need to do on race day and then a way to experiment on your own so that you can figure out what works best for you with intensity levels. So someone's doing like a cross country mountain bike race, or I guess I I don't want to limit this to just mountain biking, but a cross country mountain bike race versus a hundred mile race, the intensity level is going to be different. And then in road racing, that's a whole other animal, which I actually have no idea. Like I don't road race. I don't really know. I know you got to go easy. And then all of a sudden, like someone attacks and you're like full sprint. So does should someone change their nutrition plan based on the length of the event? Or is it pretty much the same? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It needs to be taken into account the length of the event and then the anticipated intensity. And if you think there's going to be sections where you're, you know, going all out or going up a crazy hill or whatever it is, that's going to be like max effort. Absolutely. So the harder you're working, the more simple your nutrition needs to be, the easier it needs to be to digest, or you're just not going to be able to tolerate it. So whether that's doing solely liquid calories on those hard pushes or something just more simple like a gel, yeah, that definitely needs to be taken into account. And if you're just cruising and it's pretty mellow or the intensity is just moderate because you're doing, you're going to be out there for so long, you can afford to take some more, you know, 
liberties. So maybe having some solid foods, maybe getting some potato chips or whatever it is that you really are craving at that point. So yeah, the more intense it is, the more simple your nutrition needs to be, the more easy digestible it needs to be. And then, you know, the longer duration obviously means you're going to be working at a more moderate intensity so you can afford to be a little bit more adventurous with your nutrition. All right. And then in terms of before the event, people say, how soon before the event do I need to eat? Is it three hours? Is it two hours? Is it one hour? And for me, like some of my races start at 6 a.m. So I'm not getting up at four in the morning to eat. And then some races are like stage races. They provide the food for you. So you have to eat whenever they provide the food. So like what's a good general rule of thumb for eating before an event? And then what should people be eating? Because everybody eats something different. Some people seem to like eating kind of higher fat things before the event. I like to keep it simple. I just eat bread and almond butter and that's it. So everybody's different, but like, what's a good rule of thumb? A good rule of thumb for, you know, how much to eat, depending on how much time you have before is I like to say, if you have an hour to two hours, maybe one to 200 calories worth of food. If you have three or four hours, you can afford to go a little bigger, three, 400 upwards of, you know, even 500 calories. The more time you have, the bigger your meal can be. So if you are going to wake up three to four hours before, you could do a meal versus if you wake up and you have less than a couple hours, you might want to keep it super simple, like a piece of toast with something on it, some fruit and oatmeal, something like that. But yeah, the closer you get to that start time too, the more simple you want to keep it, right? So, you know, even if you just end up having a couple of waffles and some nut butter on that or some dry toast, like the closer you get to that start time, the easier it needs to be to break down. So less fat, less fiber, less protein. But if you have three or four hours, you have time to digest, you can do, you know, a standard breakfast. I mean, not like bacon and eggs, but <laughs> maybe like a couple of eggs, some toast, oats, whatever it is, and you'll have time to digest it. One thing I would caution is, you know, you want to make sure you have time to be able to clear whatever it is you need to clear, go to the bathroom, that sort of thing. So always kind of keep that in mind because the worst is like if you have to stop during a race and like go to the bathroom, it's just, you know, quite a buzzkill. So what if people are hungry, like say they ate two hours before and this happens to me sometimes, I'll eat like my two pieces of bread with almond butter and then I'll notice like an hour or even 30 minutes before the start, I'll feel hungry. Should I eat something or should I just wait till the race starts? Yeah, in that case, I would probably say it's safe to go ahead and eat something, especially if you have, you know, 30 minutes or so. Just make sure it's something light and easy to digest. You know, I really like to do a waffle before because that's kind of their sole purpose in life. No, I'm just kidding. But they're <laughs> really easy to digest. And if you have 30 minutes or so, 45 minutes, it's like the perfect amount of calories, 150 calories. And it just, it tastes good. It's, it's really light. So something like that, or yeah, a couple pieces of toast. You just want to, again, keep it really simple and not too much fat, fiber, protein. But yeah, if you're feeling hungry before, definitely have like a small snack. And then sometimes I'll even do like a gel or a half a gel, maybe five to 15 minutes before start time, just to get that extra boost. Yeah. I always pop a gel five minutes before the start. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Perfect. It's exactly what it says on the package. (laughs) So how about after the event or even after a training ride, there's recovery drinks, there's food, there's lots of different options. And then people are confused as to what the makeup of it needs to be. Is it protein? Is it carbohydrate? What what do you recommend? You know, it's going to depend a little bit on what you've done. 
So if you're working really hard or you're racing or you've been out there for a really long time, it becomes more important to get the right kind of calories in afterwards. And by the right kind of calories, meaning, you know, protein and carbs, because what's happening when you're working really hard, really intensely is you're not only depleting your electrolyte levels and your hydration levels by sweating, but you're also burning through your body's own stores of carbohydrates and you're breaking down muscles. So what needs to be replaced there is carbohydrates, which replaces your muscle glycogen, which is what gives you energy during exercise. And then you're also breaking down muscle, which is protein, which the building blocks of protein are amino acids. So you need to get those amino acids back in from protein. So we have for instance, a recovery drink that we just put out and it's now got 20 grams of protein because research has shown that for most people, after you finish a decent amount of exercise, you need to get between 20 and 40 grams of protein as soon as you really can afterwards. And so our previous formula had 10, we now have 20 and it tastes great, but it has 20 grams of protein, but it also has carbohydrates. And if you look at the package, it's 30 grams of carbs and it says all of them are from sugar, but that's because at that point, your body is the most receptive to nutrition. And so in order to get it in quickly and get it to the muscle where it needs to restore glycogen and proteins, that's kind of the best format and it's the fastest absorbing that you can get. So the more intensely you're working out, the longer you're working out, the more important it is to get, you know, kind of targeted nutrition. If you're just doing something casual, you can absolutely go with, you know, whatever it is you're going to eat after like half a turkey sandwich. The key being, you know, you want to get some protein for your muscles. You want to get some carbs to restore glycogen levels and fluids as well. But if you're just doing something really easy or less than an hour and it's not super intense, you could probably wait until your next meal even. It's not going to be super critical. The other point where it becomes really important to pay attention to your post-workout nutrition is if you are going to have another workout either later in the day or relatively soon after. So if it's within 24 hours, you really want to be thinking about some kind of targeted nutrition strategy so that you can basically encourage your body to start repairing itself faster. And you mentioned, okay, so 30 grams carbohydrates and 20 grams protein. But if someone doesn't want to have a drink, if they want to eat the food, there's not all carbs are created equal. And that's another topic I want to get into soon. But should they be eating like a white rice or, or just something like with a really high glycemic index if they're going for carbs so they can absorb it faster immediately after? Or like what if they did like a more complex carbohydrate? Again, it's going to come down to kind of the two things is how intensely did you work before and then how soon after are you going to be working hard again? So if you worked really hard, your training volume is really high, or you're going to have a workout relatively soon, you might consider doing something with a higher glycemic index, even sugar at that point, you know, because it's going to get into your system faster and get to the muscles where it needs to be to do work. But if you're just kind of training casually, it's recreational, it's less important. You can do complex carbs. You can do quinoa. You can do, you know, bread, whatever sandwich you're having. It just really depends on the intensity of the workout before and the proximity to the next workout. Okay. So like if you did a really hard workout, it's better to do a recovery drink because you can absorb everything faster. Absolutely. Yeah. And liquid delivery systems absorb faster than a solid. Again, so the same thing, like when we're talking about in-race nutrition, a lot of times liquids are going to be more easily digested and absorbed. 
Okay. And carpal loading, like people talk about this. Someone recently asked me, you know, they're doing a BC bike race and should they be carpal loading? And if so, how many days before? What should people be eating in the days leading up to their event? That's a question I get all the time. <laughs> um, so the, the way I like to look at it is the closer you get to your big event or race, the more you want to eat like a baby. And what I mean is you start to eat more simple foods, more bland foods, things that are not going to upset your stomach, things that are not going to hang around in your GI tract for a long time, meaning probably less of your raw veggies, less of your high fiber, you know, like flax and chia, things that kind of take a long time to break down that are going to ferment in your gut for a few days. So you want to be bland. You want to be simple. I mean, you might be looking at an entirely tan plate at some point. So like, pasta, potatoes, rice, things that are just pretty easy to digest. That's not to say you should do like the night before pre-race pasta binge, because a lot of times that actually backfires for people because they don't do that every day. And then they do it the night before a race. And it's like your body just doesn't really know how to handle that much food, carbs, whatever. So I would say focus on even the lunch the day before as kind of like your pre-race meal, and then maybe have a light sort of dinner, like an easy, simple, no fuss dinner the night before, instead of doing like the pre-race super load. And then really focusing the two to three days before the race on just maintaining a high overall kind of carbohydrate intake. That doesn't mean going crazy and just eating lots of pizza or (laughs) lots of potatoes, but just making sure that each meal and snack, you're getting a good you know, either handful or double cupped handful serving size of some kind of grain, fruit with your snacks, pretzels and things like that. Just making sure that your overall carbohydrate intake is higher for a few days before an event. That is a more sustainable way to kind of carbo load than doing the night before and you risk, you know, GI distress the next day. That's always a risk. And this is more of a personal question, but I'm sure other people have this question as well. I tend to not change my nutrition plan at all leading into a race because my diet is a pretty high carb. It's all complex carbohydrates, but there's always carbohydrates, a grain as part of every single meal. So before an event, should I be like adding in even more of those grains? And then maybe because you you mentioned like your plate's going to look more tan color foods. So Mm -hmm. like, should you eat even more carbohydrates? And then should you also be eating less meat or less vegetables because of the digestibility? So if I'm looking at a plate normally for day-to-day nutrition, I would say make sure half of your plate is colorful. So fruits and vegetables, and then maybe a quarter of it is what I say tan. So like your grains, and then a quarter of it is some type of protein that changes in the few days leading up to a race. So I would say make sure half of your plate is the tan, right? So your grains, your potatoes, your starches, And then maybe a quarter of it is colorful, but cooked, right? So you don't want to be doing a lot of raw veggies at that point because they're harder on the system to break down, digest. They hang out in your digestive tract for a long time. So make sure if you're having veggies, they're well cooked, preferably starchy veggies. So things like peas, carrots, corn that are easier to break down. And then again, you still want to have a little bit of protein, but no more than like a quarter of your plate protein. So I wouldn't really change the amount of protein necessarily. You just might want to keep it more simple. So maybe like some lighter meats or fish or tofu, things that break down a little bit easier than some of your, you know, red meats, pork and fattier cuts of any type of protein. And is your overall caloric intake higher? Because if you're, you're changing up 
a little bit, what's on your plate, there's going to be more calories and carbohydrates than there are in just like a, a green vegetable. So is it okay to eat more calories as well? I mean, it is going to probably shift a little bit higher, but yeah, if you're getting ready to do a pretty big race, then you'll be okay. And then you'll shift back into your normal diet. So it's not something that you want to stress about. Definitely, you know, don't start stressing about how many calories you're taking in. You might gain a little bit of water weight even. As long as you're not being excessive, then you should be just fine. I want to switch gears and talk about people's recovery day, like because you're not exercising on that day. And there's a lot of questions as to what your caloric intake should be on a recovery day. Should you try and eat less because you aren't exercising or should you eat the same amount so that you can recover from all the other efforts that your body is trying to recover from? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I'm definitely of the school where if you are recovering, that's when your body is the best able to do kind of the hardest work because you're not putting additional stress on it and it's able to rebuild and repair itself. And in order to rebuild and repair itself, it needs nutrients. So that is definitely not a day to like skimp on quality calorie intake. What do I mean by that? I mean, making sure that you're getting quality lean proteins in, you're getting complex carbohydrates. So you know, shift more towards complex carbs versus your faster absorbing or high glycemic index carbs. So things like quinoa or potato or, you know, some lentils, things that are kind of slowly broken down, but give you a good carbohydrate rich source. But yeah, I wouldn't actively try and restrict calories just because you're not working out that day. I would just focus more on quality. Earlier, you mentioned fasted rides and I've heard people using fasted rides in the morning to help build more mitochondria. Um, I've also heard of people doing fasted rides or eating a keto diet so that they can be burning fat as their primary fuel source. I personally have a lot of confusion about that. To me, it seems like you want to be using carbohydrates as your main source, but I bet that you have definitely some more input that I could learn from. Yeah, it's a big hot topic, becoming a better fat burner. I think it really comes down to what type of event you're doing and if you're going to be out there for a long time and your body's going to need to tap into its fat stores What's a long versus time? if you're doing so more than two, three hours. Yeah, you really can shift into a higher fat burning capacity and get most of your caloric needs met by just burning fat at that point. So, you know, the higher the intensity, the less your body is able to tap into fat as a fuel source. So if you're doing a shorter ride, or a really high intensity ride, you need the carbohydrates because that's going to be the primary go-to most efficient fuel source. So again, you know, even if you're like running a two hour marathon, if you're like an elite athlete, you're probably primarily going to need carbs at that point, just because the intensity is so high. So looking at intensity, looking at duration, that's really going to determine whether a fat adaptation strategy would be best for you. So, you know, it's individual to each athlete and what their goals are. If you're a slower athlete and you're just looking to finish a race, yeah, maybe you could afford to just tap into fat stores and do some fasted training in order to be a better fat burner. And people will also use fasted rides as a weight loss tool. Do you recommend that? Or, and if you don't recommend that, what is a good weight loss tool? Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where it can go in either direction. So it can work out. And there are some studies to show that if you do a fasted ride, especially first thing in the morning, it can really boost your fat metabolism for the rest of the day. And you actually will burn more calories as a result. So it does work for some folks to do that. The problem is if you 
do that and then you just end up eating more the rest of the day because you are hungry, then it can definitely backfire. So it's one of those things where you need to implement it wisely. So key being, if you're going to do it, make sure that it's not a, like really prolonged amount of time. So maybe like no more than 90 minutes fasted ride and that you're getting some quality nutrition in afterwards so that you're not going to end up being super hungry later and then like binging on the first thing that you see. So yes, it can work. I think that it does help with boosting fat metabolism just from the research that we've seen and just with some of the athletes I've worked with personally and in my own training, I've done it. You just need to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and that you're feeding yourself adequately after and that you know, you're not going to go and be hungry the rest of the day and then end up eating something crazy off your schedule just because you were super hungry. And in terms of doing these fasted rides for weight loss, what is the intensity level and how long in terms of like weeks or number of rides do like are in the studies? So normally what we're seeing is anywhere from two or three a week up to, you know, maybe five. And that's just, it varies because, you know, the studies are all different, but I would say looking at somewhere in the realm of 30 up to 90 minutes per session and maybe a couple up to three would be a good place to start per week. And intensity level, you're definitely not going to be hitting like any super high levels. Um, That is not the goal of this ride, right? The goal of this ride is to work at an intensity where you're primarily burning fat. For a lot of people in the beginning, that's going to be less than, say, 70% of their heart rate max. So it's a pretty low like zone one, zone two intensity. What if they start feeling hungry? Is that when you stop or because like you can get bonky after 90 minutes if you're used to burning sugar? (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't say start off right off the bat with 90 minutes. I'd say, Mm -hmm. you know, start with 30, see how you feel and then progress from there, maybe in 10 to 15 minute increments once you kind of assess how you deal with it. And, you know, always have an emergency carb nearby. (laughs) You always have a gel packet somewhere floating around just in case. But Like if you, you know, you're not on a trainer or you're not in the gym where you can easily just get off the bike or whatever, I would say take some emergency nutrition with you. And my last question is about supplements. There's a lot of different supplements out there and it's kind of a two-part question. Number one, the FDA doesn't regulate supplements. So how do people know if the supplements they're taking are good and also for anti-doping? And then also what supplements do you recommend? You know. The FDA doesn't directly tell supplement companies what they can and cannot put in their formulations, but they do regulate, you know, what they can say, what they can make claims about. So it's not totally unregulated, but I see your point. I would say the best way to know if a supplement is safe for an athlete to use is to look for certain third-party certifications. So things like NSF, things like informed choice, if you see the logos on the label, that means they have been evaluated for banned substances for quality control. And you can go on those websites and actually look at the product lot, you know, when it was tested and, you know, what the results were of those tests. So look for things like NSF, Informed Choice, or Informed Sport. Any of those certification programs are going to be safe for athletes to use. So looking at that, if they have those kind of rigorous standards in place, I would say one of the best supplements that I always recommend is protein because it's pretty safe. It's got a good track record. And a lot of times athletes are going to have elevated protein needs just because they're so active and because there's so much protein turnover going on in the body in order for it to repair itself. Sorry to interrupt, Mm -hmm. but how much protein are we talking per day? 
So for most athletes who are pretty active, I would say aim for at least a half a gram up to a gram per pound of body weight is a good place to kind of target. Some might even need more than that, but half a gram to a gram. And then for a lot of people, that's going to be difficult to do just from the meals they're eating. Cause a lot of people like to have a pretty low protein breakfast. They might get 20 or 30 grams at dinner, but I like to see at least 20 grams per meal. And ideally you're spreading out protein intake throughout the day so that it is, you know, digested and absorbed and can feed the muscles. And then you hit another dose and then continue to feed the muscles throughout the day as opposed to one big protein rich meal at the end of the day. So if you're going to do it that way, you know, you can always look at a protein shake as an opportunity to get that 20 grams in when you otherwise might not. So whether that's after workout, whether that's for breakfast with your smoothie, whatever kind of is the low protein intake portion of your day, that would be a good place to put a protein supplement of some sort. So that could be a whey protein, that could be a vegan protein, like there's so many proteins out there. But if athletes are not able to meet their protein requirements just from their normal whole food nutrition, that's probably the number one area I look to supplement first. In addition to protein, caffeine is always a good one. It's very well studied, relatively safe for most people, and it is a performance enhancer. So caffeine for race day, absolutely, if you tolerate it well. Beetroot, I'm a big fan. It does seem to have benefits for most people as far as the ability to utilize oxygen and deliver it to muscles. So that's always a great thing, especially when you're competing. The most standardized way to get it is through a little beetroot shot extract, but you can also get it from whole food sources like beets themselves or spinach. Other leafy greens are pretty high in nitrates, which yeah, is you know, the main is component. Really Arugula is super yeah, high. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So a lot of times before events, I'll tell people to start upping their intake of their leafy greens, especially things like spinach, arugula, kale, because those are all super nitrate rich. And if they like beets, you know, a lot of people don't like beets, but if you do, then that's obviously another great source. So yeah, I like beetroot as a supplement and let's see, creatine. And this you might think is more of like a weightlifter meathead type but it's actually great for endurance athletes too. I just changed the dosage, right? So I say a low dose regimen of creatine is really good for muscle performance, muscle recovery, even brain function they're finding. So, you know, two to three grams of creatine a day. It's also one of the most widely researched and scientifically validated performance enhancers there is on the market. So you can definitely find some benefits with creatine, even if you're just doing a low dose. What about branch chain amino acids or just single amino acids like leucine? Oh, yeah. So branch chain amino acids, we do put them in all of our goo products. Pretty much every goo product has branch chain amino acids. And it's something I totally overlooked in my conversation about supplements just because I'm looking at it as you get branch chain amino acids from, you know, a lot of the proteins you eat. So most people are getting them kind of every day anyway. And then if you're taking goo products, you're also getting BCAAs in those. So branched amino acids are the most important of the amino acids for kind of muscle recovery, muscle health, and muscle repair. Leucine is one of the three branched amino acids, and that's the one that's the most responsible for kicking off what we call muscle protein synthesis. So the creation of new muscle proteins. So when you're exercising, you're breaking down your muscles in order to rebuild them stronger than before. And so leucine is the amino acid that starts that process. 
So you have to have branched amino acids in the diet or you will be deficient and your muscles will actually deteriorate. So yeah, absolutely important to have branched amino acids. But again, you can get those from complete proteins are all going to have the BCAAs in them. If you're not eating enough protein in your diet, that might be a time when you might consider supplementing with BCAAs. And also if you're taking goo products, you're already getting extra BCAAs. So that's awesome. (laughs) We have BCAA capsules even. Can you overdo the BCAAs? Like say you're doing goo products, you're eating, and then you're taking supplements on top of that. Like, can that mess you up? You know, they have done safety studies looking at what's the upper limit and it's like really, really, really high. So unless you're just mainlining BCAA capsules all day, it's going to be pretty difficult to overdo it. And the body's also pretty efficient at excreting excess amino acids. So if there's too much amino acid or too many amino acids coming in, your body just kind of processes that and then excretes them through the urine. So difficult to overdo it. But, you know, I suppose if you really wanted to try and do it, you could. (laughs) But for most people, it's not going to be an issue. Is there anything that I'm missing? You know, I feel like we've talked about a lot of things that are the most common questions. I give talks at events or before events a lot of times, and people come up and ask about pre-race, post-race, you know, what to do during the race, how much you should be drinking, salt caps. That's another one that people tend to ask about, like whether you need to supplement with electrolyte capsules during a race. And I think that's one area where there's a lot of controversy in the sports science currently. And people are on the one hand are saying you probably never need to take salt caps where people on on the other side of the controversy are saying, you know, if it's really hot and humid, you might consider adding it to your sports nutrition. I say it's never a bad idea to have it on hand just in case. If you're expecting it to be really hot, humid, you're sweating a lot. But if you are going to do salt caps, just kind of keep in mind that it only takes a little bit to go a long way. So you know, maybe one or two every couple hours versus you've seen these instances at races where people come into an aid station and grab a handful of capsules and just like shove them down their throat, have no idea what they're getting. They don't even know half the time what's in the capsules. They're just like, oh, it's capsules. And I think I need something. So yeah, avoiding those scenarios. So a lot of, a lot of races now are just not even having salt or electrolyte capsules available because people are just going crazy with them. But yeah, so other than that, I mean... I think we've covered quite a bit today. Awesome. And where can people find you if they want to follow you and all of your personal adventures? Because you do a lot of amazing things. Or if they just want to ask you something that we didn't cover in this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have nutrition related questions, you can always go on to gooenergy.com. And there's a section called Ask the Guru. And those questions go directly to me. So you can feel free to submit questions there. And if you wanted to follow along with some of the adventures I do on a personal level, you can find me on Instagram is the best way. And that's Roxy Mountain Girl. So R-O-X-Y-M-T-N-G-I-R-L. And that's on Instagram. So awesome! thank you for that. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to educate all of us on how to create an awesome race nutrition plan and also just general nutrition plan for performance. Yeah, it's been my pleasure and good luck to you with all of your upcoming events. And this has been great. So thank you. Thanks. There was a lot. You guys might need to listen to this episode another time just to let it all sink in. 
and I learned a lot in this episode. I've spent a lot of time studying sports nutrition, but I love doing these podcasts because there is always something to learn and it's great getting to talk to amazing experts and inspiring athletes like Roxanne Vogel. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure you connect with Roxanne. You can connect with her personally on Instagram or make sure you go to gooenergy.com slash ask the guru to ask her personal questions and also give goo a follow as well. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.